Okay. Oh. So we've got a bit of a long reading today. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> okay, so we're looking at Daniel chapter 2, starting from verse 24. Okay, and I'm reading from the... Oh, we've changed to ESV. Okay. All right. I'm going to do this again. Okay. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king, made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be know, made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given 
Wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron mixed with the soft clay. As the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Okay, now we're going to Matthew 13, verses 31 to, I think it's 34, 33. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Okay, I'm just going to pray for Bill. Did you want to come up? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that God, that Uh, We're talking today about your kingdom uh, coming on earth, Lord God. And Lord, we we see so many examples in your word, but Lord, we also see examples in uh, our modern day, Lord. Just as we even talked about Village of Hope and we think of different ministries um, amongst this church. and, And Lord, we just want to pray today for Bill. We pray, Lord, that you would use 
his words, that you would use your word from your from the Bible, Lord, to teach us, to show us. Lord, I pray for real revelation in our hearts, Lord, that we would literally um, have new understanding, deeper understanding of your truth. We ask and through your word this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I can hear myself, good. Well, good morning church, it's um, really good to be part of this congregation and if, you know, you think about what's happened so far, uh, the music and the words that were chosen, uh, the prayer, the video uh, and the Bible reading, well I've got news for you. (laughs) If you go home today, can you pick up your Bibles and read all of chapter 2? because that was only half of it, and go to chapter 4 as well, because that really gives the big picture. In fact, what we didn't say, and I didn't make the reading longer, was that the king had a dream, and he asked all his you know, visionary people, the magicians, to say, tell me what I dreamt, and then tell me the interpretation. And they said, fear, go. We, we can't even do that. He said, off with their heads, you know. And so Daniel comes in, and that's what we read as the text. So that's the wider context. But I just want to add to um, Philippa's welcome, uh, a welcome to all of you here. Um, For those who are new today, my name is Bill Bosker, and I'm stepping in for 10 weeks to help with the pastoral ministry and preaching ministry here. It's been an immense privilege, and Inika and I are really grateful that we can actually help you and thank you for all the encouragement. We are in a series on the Lord's Prayer. I know not everybody can see this. Uh, don't worry about that. Okay. Um, somebody gave me this this morning, and uh, it's a beautiful laser-cut template of the whole Lord's Prayer. We're going to investigate and see what we can do about that. Our text is coming from Matthew chapter 6. So your Bible should just about fall open to this, although phones don't do that. But um, go to Matthew chapter 6. We'll have a look at our text and go from there. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, Jesus is speaking, he's teaching his disciples, and he says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's what we're looking at today. Three words. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know about you, but um, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's very short. It's only a few verses. It's shorter than the prayers that most of us pray. But man, has it got impact. And we saw that the other week with looking at our Father in the heavens. And then last Sunday with, hallowed be your name. Let your name be hallowed. Well, today it's your kingdom come in English. 
But in the original language, it's more like, your kingdom, let it come. That's how the original speaks it. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So I've I've got a question uh, to begin with, and that is, can you, or do you know what God's big agenda is for the world? What's God's main item on the agenda? And the answer is, it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's great big agenda item. And the kingdom of God is not only the big picture of the Bible, it's also the big picture of the history of the world. And that's why we read from Daniel chapter 2. And when you go home and investigate those four kingdoms, they're actually quite clear in the development of history. Like Nebuchadnezzar was a Babylonian king. And then came the kingdom of Persia. And then came the kingdom or the empire of Greece. And the last one, iron and clay, is the Roman Empire. So that was all fulfilled in history, uh, the text in Daniel 2. Ever since Adam and Eve walked this earth, the coming of his kingdom. Now, in order to understand king and kingdom... I just have to give a little bit of context. And uh, there's an author that is very interesting, Bill Bryson. I don't know if any of you have read this book. It's called A Short History of Nearly Everything. I mean, fancy writing a book with a title like that. So I'm hoping to give you a short history of the kingdom and kings. And so I'll do it this way. A king is a person who has authority over his kingdom. And that authority is either conferred or it's won in battle. And in ancient and biblical times, and care for his people. That was his job, to defend them and care for them. And then people would respond by pledging allegiance and loyalty to the king. And so in history, under a good king, the land would prosper and the civilization would be healthy and grow. But as our text explains, as world history also tells us, there is no ancient kingdom that has survived to the modern era. The Persian kingdom came and went. Babylonian, Greece, Roman came and went. So good kings in this short history of kings and kingdom were either corrupted by or they simply died in office and so their kingdom couldn't continue. So we can see in this short history of kings and kingdoms that human kingdoms come and they go and not one of them lasts. And so this is where God's kingdom is so different. Progressively from two people, from Adam and Eve, God has been building a universal kingdom. And the Bible has so much to say about God's kingdom. Many, many books have been written and we could speak for hours on it. And so I wanted to tell you about this book here. This book has one topic. It's the coming of the kingdom. My old professor, Ray Zorn, translated this from the Dutch into English. And this is a fantastic book on this text, The Coming of the Kingdom. 
The other thing I want to show you is the RTC has preaching conferences every year. And this conference in 2007 was all about preaching the kingdom. And I think this may be available on the web, but it has some beautiful essays and research about the kingdom of God. So much has been written, uh, but I can't say it all today. Uh, I'm thinking about your mind and your spiritual appetite, and I'm going to try to serve you um, without giving you indigestion, hopefully. So let's try to go for a definition of the kingdom of God. And this is from an Australian scholar, Graham Goldsworthy, and it's worth noting. He says, The kingdom of God is God's rule over God's people. Very simple definition. And if you want to look at it in the Garden of Eden, God's people or God's rule uh, is in the Garden of Eden over Adam and Eve and that's God's rule over them. If you want to look at it in Israel, it is God's people Israel. They've gone into the promised land, God's place. God's people in God's place and his rule over them. The same when Christ came to earth. Here was God coming as king, so God's rule over God's people on earth in God's place. And it's also a definition that works for the future. Because when heaven and earth come together, when Jesus returns, it'll be God's rule over God's people in God's place. And so when we read from Daniel chapter 2, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was a world leader of the world's superpower. Roughly 530 years before Christ. And remember that text. It was just interesting to hear that whole reading. And it says it was not by human hands. And then this rock which knocked over that idol, that image, became a mountain. And then filled the whole earth. And that symbolized that God was building a kingdom that would crush all the kingdoms, but his kingdom would endure forever and never, ever be destroyed. That's the image. That's the picture. And the Bible tells us that God has given this kingdom to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the clearest passage where that is shown is in Psalm 2. And there's a few verses we'll read here. Psalm 2. Worth looking at later on in more depth. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. The NIV says, Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all 
who take refuge in him. That's a psalm of David. It's a messianic psalm. It has David in focus, but then he fades away as the focus goes to the Messiah in Psalm 2. Jesus is the servant king, and he has his people's well-being in his heart. And he is a better king than any king that's ever been on earth or ever will come. And what's more, he's not a king who dies. He's a king who lives forever because he rose from the dead never to die again. And if you look at this timeline of the kingdom of God, when you think about that timeline, we are probably somewhere near the end of that timeline. So much has gone before And we can say this, we live in between Christ's first coming, which was a kingdom or a coming of grace, and we're waiting for him to come in glory. And the prayer that Jesus teaches us here, in a simple summary, is this. It's for God to finish what he started. It's like Jesus is telling us to pray, finish it, Lord. Do a complete job of it, Lord. We want to see your rule extended over all the world from sea to sea. And that's got a universal scope. But the prayer also has a very personal scope. It says, Lord, I want to see you rule me. I want to have your rule extend over me and every part of my life. So that's by way of introduction. We've got three fairly brief points this morning. The first one is the kingdom of God is desirable. The second one is the kingdom of God is difficult. And the third one, the kingdom of God is definite. So three Ds. Desirable, difficult, definite. Summary this morning. Let's look at the first one. The coming of God is desirable. Do you long for a society and security for all? Do you look forward to that day when you hear the news at night time? What do you think? I'd love to see a kingdom of justice and security. What about a place where people can live in peace and harmony and joy and gladness? Do you long for that? What about where we can live in sinners and a sharing community? What about a society where there's no need to have any strikes? Or for lobby groups? Or for political parties? Or for power struggles? Or for ideology battles? What a society. What about where there's no terrorism? Where there's no more threats of war? Where you can walk safely in the street and never fear for your life? That is desiring an all-encompassing wellness. And the Bible has a word for that. Shalom. Don't we long for shalom? That beauty, that glory, that security. And when I go through that list that I just read, it actually, to us, sounds a bit out of this world. Is it really possible? And yet the Bible tells us it is possible and it is even going to come. God has that plan for this world and even more. 
And so the question as we think about praying this prayer is, do you want to be part of that kingdom? Do you want to be part of that ushering in of God's glory and his goodness? Because then you will pray this prayer. And there'll be a desire in you that's like in creation. Have a look at this text. If you can just feel this text. For the creation waits in eager expectation, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So in summary, creation other than ourselves, all of creation, is looking at what God has done in human beings and given them a new spirit, a new heart, a new life through Jesus Christ. And creation says, oh, please bring that day to us as well, to the mountains, to the animals, to the whole kingdom. Lord, what you've done in people... Will you please do in us? That's what the text is saying. So it's desirable. It's desirable because there's a longing for a true relationship between God and between people and people. Because the world is so divided. And a true relationship between people and the rest of creation. Because our fall had an impact on the rest of creation. So a question has the kingdom of God started in you? How do I know? That Jesus has made in your life. Do you know the difference? Can you remember what life was like before Jesus and now what life is like with Jesus? Or when you hardly knew him and now you know him much better? Can you, can you see the difference? Because that's what this text is talking about. Bring that difference on. Have you experienced the unconditional love of God and experienced the forgiveness of sins so there's nothing between you and God anymore? That's the kingdom of God coming in you personally. And we have an opportunity this morning to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper. Because Jesus says this is a sign of the kingdom. And he tells us until he comes. We celebrate it in the elements. Until we see him face to face in glory. So wouldn't you like to keep experiencing that. And God might join you in experiencing that as well. How different this world would be. If more people loved Jesus. And if more people loved like Jesus, man, that's shalom. That's bringing in the kingdom. We would see so much more harmony and grace and unity and freedom and creativity. And the fact that Jesus has come, the fact that he has lived and died and rose again, means that he has instituted this kingdom in its last days. And he receives honour for having done that on the cross, over the grave. And the more his kingdom grows, the more Christ receives the honour. So what is there 
not to like about the kingdom? Really, what is there not to like about the kingdom? So I think you'll all agree with me that the kingdom of God is desirable. A perfect kingdom, brimming, full of righteousness and truth. And it's the Holy Spirit who actually creates that desire in us to see it more and more, to show Christ as king. Second thing we want to see this morning is that the kingdom, the coming of God's kingdom, is also difficult. So we are really talking about ourselves now being in a battle zone. It's great to see the kingdom is desirable, but now we're looking at the kingdom is actually a battle zone. This is because there's a conflict going on in the spiritual realms and on earth between God and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the devil and his hosts. It's, it's a battle that started when Satan became so jealous of God's glory in heaven that he was cast out. And he was cast out onto the earth. And the battle between God and Satan is being fought out on this planet ever since the Garden of Eden. Think of how many times Satan tried to snuff out God's plan to bring a Messiah. You read the Old Testament and you'll see it coming up and down, up and down, up and down. Last Sunday, Martin preached on Genesis 38, Judah and Tamar. There was a possibility that Judah would have no seed. And that would have been Satan's victory. But there was a seed coming all the way to Christ. If you think of one book in the Bible that is dedicated to how Satan is trying to exterminate the line to the Messiah, it's the book of Esther. You know the book of Esther and her uncle Mordecai. And he said to her, is it for such a time as this that you were raised to stand up for God's people? Because there was an edict to exterminate all the Jews in Esther. How this battle actually escalated when Jesus was born. When you read the, 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 the account in Matthew, what did Herod want to do? A little child has been born in Bethlehem. Well, exterminate all the baby boys born in Bethlehem in the last two years. That's trying to snuff out the line to Christ so the kingdom couldn't come. What about the 40 days that Jesus experienced in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry where Satan was trying to disqualify Christ or distract him from the task. What about the cross where Satan thought he could have Jesus eliminated and nailed and hanging to a tree? He thought it was going to be his victory, but it was God's master. And since Jesus died... And was buried, he rose again. And we can say and we sing it, death has been defeated. Even though death still rears its ugly head. And it affects us and our friends and our families. But as a result of Jesus' death, he wounded. The cross and the resurrection means that Satan is mortally wounded. So now he continues to, to battle 
he fights Christ, he fights his church, he fights his kingdom because he knows he's lost the victory. And so he is flailing around like a wounded shark, trying to attack and trying to drag. He is is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, it looks like Satan is succeeding in many places. You think of our society and all the gambling, the scams that we're exposed to, and the greed. What about our culture of death and confusion in abortion, in suicide, in euthanasia? What about drugs that people use as a means of escape and yet it sucks the life out of them? What about the violence and hatred and cruelty in so many forms, the pornography that we're exposed to? We are surrounded by it in the real world, in the virtual world. We even have that weapon in our pockets, that evil weapon our mobile phones, where this bad stuff can really come out at the click of a button, where it's in our lounge rooms where our TV is, or even in our workplaces, in our recreation areas. Our grandparents could have never envisaged people being exposed to the devil's evil powers 24-7. My grandfather would never have understood it. But that's where we are. The kingdom of God is difficult. But there's one place that the devil will never leave alone. And that is the church. He will never leave the church alone free from attack. He wants to break down what Christ is building up. And this is a battle that we need to be wide awake to. Not paranoid about it. But aware and discerning. We were on the train yesterday into the city and I had this amazing discussion with a Macedonian Orthodox Christian. And uh, I think the train journey from Dandenong to the city went like that. It was just so quick. And we were talking about opposition from the devil. And I said to him, the devil does not come at us like a freight train where we would jump out of the road because it's dangerous. He comes at us with subtlety so that we don't even know it's him parading like an angel of light so as to deceive us. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And even in my life and in your life, it's not easy to make every decision and every action count for Christ and his kingdom. Though the kingdom is desirable, the Bible tells us it's also difficult. But we have to remember who we belong to. We belong to Jesus. We're enrolled in his army and we face our battles with him, not alone. It was interesting that Barnabas and Paul, when they were going through the churches, preaching the gospel, then revisiting them. This is a passage that comes out and we we should really know this passage. They went and strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is the sentence. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. 
You know, some people say, enter the kingdom of God and life's going to be easy. That is rubbish. That's a false gospel. The Bible says we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. But you don't do it alone. You are enrolled in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's good to be aware that the coming kingdom of God is also difficult. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Let's look at our last point. The coming of God's kingdom is also definite. And that is good news for us. Good news. It is definite. Look at the parables in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is speaking here. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I could preach a sermon on that passage alone. But all seed that is sown grows to full maturity like a tree and the birds can rest in it. So the kingdom of God has these tiny beginnings, but it will mature and it will become complete. The second parable, he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven, and and Matthew doesn't want to take God's name in vain. He would rather say kingdom of heaven. That's why Matthew says it that way. The gospels say it another way if they're Gentile authors. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. What's three measures of flour? Well, can you imagine a 20 kilo... It's almost 30 kilograms of flour. And in order to leaven that flour, you probably need about a cup of, of leaven or a cup of yeast. I said to Inika, can you give me a bit of yeast? This is supposed to be about one or two teaspoons of yeast. It's enough yeast to make a whole loaf of a risen loaf to cook. So you can see a little bit, and they're tiny little seeds in there, and they go into that whole lump of dough, but they go right through it, raise the whole dough, small beginning, big effect. That's roughly what is being said in this parable. And there's another passage, which is another parable. Jesus spoke many parables about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And Jesus in this parable is actually showing us in Mark chapter 4, if we can have that slide up, I think it's there. Mark chapter 4, yep. In this parable, Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of God is like and how it grows... But look at the emphasis here. Then Jesus said, God's kingdom is like a seed thrown on the field by a man who then goes to bed and doesn't think about it. The seed sprouts and grows. He has no idea how it happens. The earth does it all without his help. First, a green stem of grass, then a bud, then the ripened grain, When the grain is fully formed, he reaps harvest time. So Jesus' parables always have a clear meaning. And the clear meaning of this one is 
that the kingdom of God is going to grow and how it grows is not actually dependent on us. All by itself is what one translation says. The coming and fulfilment of God's kingdom is a very sure promise. He will make it happen, but he chooses to do it through us. And the king of this kingdom is Christ. That beautiful Jeff Bullock song, the kingdom song. And since his life and death and resurrection, God has exalted Jesus to the highest place. He's been given a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is its full measure. When Jesus Christ returns on the day of judgment, when the kingdom will be complete... And in 1 Corinthians 15 has this amazing verse. It's like God said, Jesus, you're the king of the kingdom. Here it is. Build it. And then Jesus says in 1 Corinthians 15 to the Father, you are now God all in all. And the Lord says through Isaiah, a prophetic word, one day the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. One day, there's going to be an end to Satan's antagonism. There's going to be an end to sin, an end to brokenness, an end to rebellion. And this is what the Lord God Almighty says. And his word is sure. The shoot that comes out of the stump of Jesse has now become a massive tree. The stone that Nebuchadnezzar saw extend across the earth. The kingdom of God is definite. How does God accomplish it? Surprisingly, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast are interesting because it's going to grow all by itself. God is going to do it. But he does it through adding people like us into his church, into his kingdom, and we're meant to be like yeast, working through the society, bringing a flavour of the gospel, like light being shined. But notice how God does it. And, and, and he does it so that we don't get the glory, so that he gets the glory. Who does Jesus entrust the mission of the world to? While well, a motley crew of 12 blokes, fishermen, tax collectors... All people that you would never put in your job seeker list. And Jesus prays the prayer. And he says, God, build your kingdom. Build your kingdom. It's a prayer that's being heard, has been heard, and is still being answered. So in conclusion, we see again in Jesus petition in the Lord's Prayer that when we pray your kingdom come, we actually become part of the answer to our own prayer. We pray your kingdom, let it come. But it actually concerns us. To keep praying this prayer, we need to taste something of the world to come. You need to feel in yourself what this future kingdom looks like and get a taste for it. Because that longing for perfection 
of Christ ruling all things gives you and gives me a holy discontentment with the way things are. A desire for the whole package to come. It is extensive to see people from all language groups and cultures and nations come and know Jesus as king and worship him. It is a prayer for Jesus to take the throne of our land and our parliament and our nation. It's extensive, but it's also intensive. It's a prayer for Jesus to take my heart, your heart, and make it his home. It's a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into every area, every part, every room of my life. Lord Jesus, come into my marriage. Come into my business. Come into my investments. Lord Jesus, come into my studies. Come into my goals. Come into my visions. Lord Jesus, come into my family. Come into my workshop. Come into my office. Lord, occupy every area of my life. You are welcome here. But we also say, let it begin with me. So that it can overflow to others. It's a prayer that says, Lord, do the big stuff. Shake the nations. Move the powers. Change the rulers. But it's also a prayer that asks God for the everyday stuff in me. So that I can grow more and more like Jesus every day. So your kingdom come. That prayer is praying for Jesus to return. And this is a big prayer. It's bigger than any one of us. And that's why we pray for God, our Father in heaven, to do it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, what an expansive vision. What an amazing, amazing project that you have taken on. To start with two people on earth and to build a kingdom that is to cover the earth. And Lord, thank you that you have given this task to your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, our Saviour and Lord. And that he accomplishes this in the most unexpected ways. He comes as God in the flesh. Camping, dwelling among us that we couldn't live. Dying the death that we should have died. And rising again from the dead. To show his kingdom, power and authority. Thank you Jesus for the cross. Thank you Jesus that you are my king. That you are our king. But thank you too that you are building your kingdom. With me, with us, even despite us. And Lord Jesus, from small beginnings, even in our own lives. Will you bring it on. Do it completely. Do a full job. So that we may actually... Look forward to you coming and finish it completely and experience God's rule over God's people in God's place in a perfect environment when heaven and earth bring this on, we pray. Let your kingdom come.